0: Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology Segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. Does God hate me when I sin? Sin in Scripture is defined as a transgression against the law of God and rebellion against the Lord. Sin began with Lucifer when he desired to be higher than the Lord, which was also his downfall in the beginning of sin. Satan brought brought sin to the human race in the Garden of Eden where he tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 also describes Adam and Eve's rebellion against the command of the Lord. You see, sin has since passed down through all the generations, and as Adam's descendants, all humanity has inherited sin from him. Romans 5.12 tells Bible readers, "...through Adam sin entered the world, and so death passed to all men, because the wages of sin is death," Romans 6.23 says. And so, through Adam, all human beings are sinners by nature and by choice. And not only is this true, but human beings inherit our sinful nature from Adam. Another type of sin is known as imputed sin. After the law was given, sins committed in the violation of the law were imputed to humanity. And so even before the transgression of the law was imputed to men, the ultimate penalty for sin continued to reign. All humans from Adam and Moses were subject to death, not because of their sinful acts against the Mosaic law, but because of their inherited sinful nature. After Moses, humans were subject to death because of Adam's inherited and imputed sin for violating God's law. Another form of sin is personal sin which is committed every day by every human being. Because man has an inherited sin nature from Adam, we commit individual personal sins, everything from lies to murder. All three forms of sin deserve death, not just physical death, but eternal death. All forms of sin have been crucified on the cross of the Lord Jesus. By faith in Christ as Savior, sinners can be adopted by God. You see, the Lord hates sin because it is the very antithesis of His nature, the Lord hates sin because he's holy, and holiness is the most exalted of the attributes of God. The holiness of God is the epitome of his moral perfection and freedom from blemish of any kind. The Lord's attitude towards sin is one of disgust and hostility. Sin is described as sores, a heavy burden, defiling filth, a binding debt, a darkness, and a scarlet stain in Scripture. And so sin separates man from the Lord. Sin causes Adam and Eve to run away from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Genesis 3.8 says, and sin brings separation. And so God hates sin because it separates man from the Lord. And the Lord also hates sin because of its deceitful nature. To pursue a life of sin is to turn one's back on the Lord. And so his hatred of sin means that the Lord loves man enough to point out their sin and in love reach out to them through Christ. Not only is sin deceitful, it also blinds man from the truth. God hates sin for the same reason that light hates darkness and truth hates light. Sin enslaves people and destroys people. Like with Samson's sin leading to physical blindness and captivity in Judges 16.21. Sin leads to spiritual blindness and to bondage. Sin is a barrier <coughs> to eternal life. The Lord loves to grant eternal life. And so God hates sin because it hinders man from receiving Jesus Christ. The Lord hates sin because it lessens love for him. In fact, James four, 4 warns, the people of God, from embracing the world. No one can serve two masters. And so people must choose between sin and righteousness in Christ alone. You see, Christians hate sin because God hates sin. Christians must recognize he, God has set them apart, as 1 Peter two nine says, as a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Christians cannot be holy on our own, which is why the Holy Spirit sanctifies the people of God. And the Lord promises... He will help the people of God in their struggle against sin. You see, there's no unforgivable sin for the Christian. The Christian's sin was forgiven at the cross, so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus said in John 19.30, It is finished. That means that the penalty for sin was paid in full. And the word used there is telestai, which means it was stamped on receipts to mark them as paid in full. The Lord Jesus became our sacrifice for sin and took away our sin. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice sinners need. And so the promise to everyone who believes in Christ alone is that every sin they've ever committed or will ever commit is forgiven. And now 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 through lists a variety of sins that are used to characterize the Corinthians. And Paul uses this list to lead us to the amazing truth that their sin was removed as far as the east is to the west. Uh, Psalm one hundred three twelve says, "Now sinners only come to God through Jesus, and the forgiveness of sin of Jesus is available to all who come to Him. And so those who reject the Lord Jesus cannot have their sins forgiven. The Lord will forgive all sin in Christ. For those who are not in Christ, there's no forgiveness." And when we're born again, the grace of God stands ready to forgive the people of God and restore them to fellowship to Christ. And since God's grace is infinite, there is no limit to, to the sin the Lord is willing to forgive for those who are in Christ, because no sin is beyond the reach of the grace of God. Paul was a blasphemer, a persecutor and a violent man before salvation. First 1 Timothy 1:13 1. tells us, and, and the Lord called uh, and called himself, excuse me, the worst of sinners in First 1 Timothy 1:15. 1. If God can save Paul, the Lord can save anyone. You see, apart from the Lord Jesus, humanity's state is one of rebellion and even disobedience. Our innermost beings are so corrupted by sin that humanity doesn't even realize the extent to which sin has stained them. In our natural state, humanity does not seek to love God or know God. And First John 4, 8 and 16 teaches that the Lord is love. You see, at at the nature and the essence of God is his love, which permeates his entire being. And since God's very nature is love, he must demonstrate all his attributes, because in doing so, he glorifies himself. And glorifying himself is what the Lord must do, because he is the highest and even the best, and he deserves all the glory. The Lord does this by lavishing his love on those who are in rebellion against him, And he demonstrates his love by sending Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, drawing man to himself, forgiving their rebellion against him. And additionally, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell the people of God uh, to enable them to love what he loves. And all this he did, in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. And now the love of God is personal because he knows each person individually and loves them personally. The love of God is mighty, which is why it has no beginning and no end. And furthermore, we see the story of the love of God throughout the whole story of Scripture. So the whole story of Scripture is that our fellowship with God, which was lost in the beginning, is now being restored through Jesus. In heaven, every Christian will be glorified by Jesus. And our fellowship with Him and the people of God will be perfect in the new heavens and the new earth with the worship of Jesus at the center. And through the Holy Spirit, those who put their trust in Jesus can enjoy and know the Lord both here and in the future. Now, Martin Luther, the reformer, used the Latin phrase summa justus ele pector, simultaneously just, a righteous, and sinner. And what this phrase communicates... Uh, It's used to communicate that the Christian is both justified and righteous and at the same time a sinner. Now, Christians are justified before God because of the righteousness of Christ. The gift of grace is not something that sinners deserve. And in fact, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, the people of God have been adopted, forgiven, redeemed, given spiritual gifts, attained an inheritance, and more. Every Christian's relationship to sin has changed. So how sinners respond to sin comes from understanding who they are in Christ because of what Christ has done for them in His finished and sufficient work. Now, every Christian is in Christ and is in the process of becoming like Christ. In this life, this process will never be complete. Every Christian will deal with indwelling sin, which is a struggle (coughs) of every Christian in this life. And so the struggle of every Christian will be different. For one, it might be anger, where for another, it'll be gossip or even lying. These habits develop over our lives as non-Christians, and they require grace and discipline to overcome in our lives in Christ. And critical to understanding these habitual, even these besetting sins, is that we have a new identity in Christ. At the cross, the power of sin was broken, and now in Christ, Christians are free from sin's mastery over them. And when a Christian sins, it's not out of the necessity of his nature, but because they willingly submitted themselves to sin's uh, dominion. And to overcome habitual or besetting sins, we need to understand the Holy Spirit who is at work in our lives, The struggle of every Christian against sin is one in which our ability does not match our desire. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, works sanctification in the people of God. Habitual sin is overcome by Christians submitting themselves to the teaching of Scripture and refusing to engage the temptation of the flesh. Now, another aspect of overcoming habitual or besetting sins is changing our habits. Rather than playing around with sin and dancing around it or even coddling up to it, we have to run away from those things that tempt us like Joseph did. And, and Jesus' is teaching in Matthew five twenty nine through 30 means that he expects the people of God to remove things from our lives, that may tempt us to sin. Every Christian can change our heart's habits by the teaching of Scripture and avoid habitual sin because of Christ alone. You see, every Christian must remind themselves of the finished and sufficient work of Jesus. The gospel not only saves the people of God, it's also the means of our sanctification. You see, sanctification is as much a work of God as justification because he who began a good work in the people of God will complete it on the last day. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app